0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumboldt.org. We got a Bible this morning. I invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. If you don't have one with you, that's okay. The words will be up there on the screen in back of me. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll get there in just a moment. Happy Father's Day to all of you dads, and happy graduation day to all of you grads. Uh, I am a dad and a parent of a grad, and so it's a uh, kind of an emotional day, to be honest with you. Um, it reminds me this week I was reading through this text and one one verse or part of a verse really jumped off the page at me when I considered it. In 1 Peter 3:10, Peter writes, "Whoever desires to love life and to see good days." And I thought that's that's all of us, right? Who wouldn't want that? So so graduates, you want to love life, you want to see good days, but what does that look like? Is that just a happy and successful life? Is it, I go to college, I do well in school, I meet my future spouse, get married, have 2.5 kids, get a minivan, right, get a nice job, uh, maybe go to a nice church, uh, make lots of money, retire, and then die? Is that, is that what we're talking about? Is it the American dream with a cross on top? Is that what we, what we want? Is that the good life that we're looking forward to? I think we all want the good life, but we never expect it to include pain and suffering. And yet, that's what these Christians that Peter's writing to—that's what they're experiencing. They're going through a time of pain and suffering, and to some degree, we will too. Makes me think back to 1994 when I graduated from high school, and there was a, a big summer movie out called Forrest Gump. You guys remember that movie and uh, played by Tom Hanks? And there was one memorable line in that movie. If you, if you want to say it with me, you can. Remember it? It's, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And I thought, that is, that is true to some extent. Graduates, I mean, especially for you, the class of 2020, you never knew what you were going to get in the senior year. Life is like a box of chocolates, and yet in other ways it's not. Life is not like a box of chocolates. When you think about this, a box of chocolates, I mean, you get to have basically a choice of the pieces you want, right? And so you, you start eating one, and, and it's that nasty cherry-filled one, and you like, spit it out and get a caramel one, right? And yet life, life doesn't give us that choice. We can't just spit out what we don't want or close the box altogether and walk away. Life is hard, and it's going to get harder. And I'm not just talking about becoming an adult. That's hard enough. As Christians, the world may not like you very much. The world is growing increasingly hostile to the gospel. And so, what do we do? When we make our way out into the world, how do we respond? Do we respond with a fight response or a flight response? I mean, do we respond with, I'm just going to fight against this world. I got to do whatever I can to match the world's intensity, so I'm going to fight with, with anger. Or are we going to have more of a flight response? I'm just going to withdraw altogether because this world is all messed up, so I'm just going to kind of, you know, camp out and just be with other Christians. Is that how we respond? First Peter shows us a different way. graduates. Respond to evil with good. That's my main point today. Respond to evil with good and watch what God does. That applies to all of us. Respond to evil with good and watch what God does. And so let's read 1 Peter 3, 8 to 12, and let's look at how does this happen? How do we respond to evil with good? 1 Peter 3, I'm going to read verses 8 to 12. This is the word of God. And pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And so, how can we respond to evil with good? What starts with a heart like Christ? It starts with a heart and an attitude like Jesus. Look at verse 8 again with me. Finally, all of you. And so, he's, he's summarizing now this, this pattern of submission that started all the way back in chapter 2, verse 13, where he says, as citizens, we're to be subject to the governing authorities, and that ought to be a witness to this world. Later, he says that we are to be Subject as servants to our masters. So to contextualize that, as employer, employees to our employers in the workplace. And then last week we learned in chapter 3, likewise, wives are to subject themselves to be submissive to their husbands. And husbands are to honor their wives as heirs with them of the grace of life. And now he says, finally. All of you. I want all of you, all of you as the, the body of Christ to submit to one another, to have this unity of mind, this humility, this, this sympathy, this brotherly love, a tender heart, you have the same attitude as Jesus. Now look at what he says here. He's actually commanding us to have these things. Have unity of mind. Have sympathy. Have brotherly love. Have a tender heart and have a humble mind. How does that happen? In Philippians 2, verse 5, Paul writes, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, yours in Christ Jesus. And so if you have turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you now have the mind of Christ because you are in Christ. His Spirit now lives within you. You have this same attitude, these same affections are in you by His Spirit. Christ shows himself in his heart in Matthew 11, to 29. It says, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. The one time in scripture where Jesus actually describes himself, he calls himself gentle and lowly. And so before we can respond to evil with good, we've got to have a heart like Christ. And so how do we get that? How do we, how do we have this, this humble mind? Well, back in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 22 and 23, Peter says, To love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Verse 23, Since you have been born again. So listen, the only way for us to have a pure heart, the only way for us to love one another earnestly is by being born again. So this doesn't happen at your physical birth. It happens at your spiritual birth. All of us by nature are not humble people. We don't naturally love one another. We think of ourselves first. And so God, by his sovereign grace, comes to us through the gospel of Jesus and by His Spirit breathes new life into us. We're awakened to see our need for a Savior. We're born again, and now we can believe in Him, and now we can live for Him. And so we must come to Christ. Graduates, have you come to Jesus Christ, admitting your sin and believing in Jesus as your Savior? If so, pray now, pray that God would work out what He has first worked in you, this humble heart. Of love. And yet, notice, he's not talking to us as individuals. He's talking to us as a body. Together, we're in this together. He says, finally, all of you, all of you have unity of mind. In other words, we all need this kind of humble mindset. Now, if ever there was a time we needed unity, it's now. We are in, in such a divided world right now, it's occurred to me, and and I'll be honest with you, as I look at social media, it feels like you need to pick a side. What side are you on? Are you a Republican? Are you a Democrat? Are you a conservative? Are you a liberal? Are you Black Lives Matter or All Lives Matter? Which one are you? Pick a side. Even as Christians, we're being sucked into this. So pick your side, and if you're on my side, you know, I'll, I'll fight with you. But if, if you're on the other side, I'm going to fight against you. And we have forgotten. Listen, we have forgotten. We have actually pursued controversy more than we have pursued kindness. And we've forgotten that our primary identity is that we are citizens of heaven. Don't forget, Peter is writing to these group of Christians, urging them as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, and to live a life in front of unbelievers that they would see a visible difference in us. And so listen, we have a kingdom mindset. Jesus Christ is our king, and we get his values and his attitudes and his heart as we live our lives. That's our primary identity as those who've been brought into his kingdom. And so... With that identity, with that heart like Christ, we respond to evil with good. It's this inward attitude like Christ, and we take that into our outward action like Christ. So look with me at verse 9, at this action that we take like Jesus. Peter says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. So negatively, he writes, don't get even with others who are reviling you and threatening you and cursing you. Don't seek to get revenge. Positively, you are to bless other people, to bless them. So, so what does that mean? That's kind of a churchy word. Here's a definition. Bless means to do spiritual and practical good for others. Simply means to do spiritual and practical good for others. That's our calling as Christians, to bless. And notice it's not just for your neighbor, it's for your enemies. You remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5? He said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So listen, it's not a big deal if you love people who love you back. You don't need a changed heart to love someone like that. But you do need a new heart to love your enemies like Christ loved his. So Jesus is raising the bar here. Romans 12, 14, Paul writes something similar. He says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Later on in verse 20, he says, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing good, you will heap burning coals on his head. By the way, some of us are like, yeah, that's, that's about time. Let me get some burning coals to put on that enemy's head. Uh, what that meant is just you are waking them up to injustice. Okay, this is not like, hey, revenge. Nope. So verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We're to overcome evil with good. So how do we do that? How do we bless others practically? What happens with both our lips and our lives? Both our lips and our lives like Christ himself. Look at verse 10. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. So out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. You ought to be speaking blessing even to those who curse you. Think about the life of Jesus These words aren't printed up there on the screen, but back in chapter 2, verse 22, it says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus, as the Son of God, if anyone had a right to retaliate in that moment when they were hurling insults at him, he was silent as a sheep being led to the slaughter. He did not revile back in return. What he did do is he spoke a gentle answer. Remember, before Pilate and before all of those who were accusing him, and then even on the cross, as they were mocking him, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I think if ever there was a time, graduates, that we needed... To bless others with a gentle answer, it's today in this age. Proverbs 15, 1 says a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You want to be different in this culture today? Speak gently. Don't retaliate with anger just like the world around you. Scott Saul's writes, a gentle answer is our secret weapon in an age of us against them. You know what gentleness does? It surprises people. Why would they respond to me in a gentle tone when I've hurt them? It shocks people. Where is that coming from? And that gentleness is coming from Jesus living within us by his spirit. Another author that I follow, uh, Russell Moore, says we ought to be known as Christians for our convictional kindness. So graduates, listen to me. You ought to have these roots that go down deep, just as Pastor Josh prayed in the soil of God's word, to have these convictions. We're praying for those convictions to be a rooted faith, but not just your convictions, but also to be known for your kindness. So as you move out into the world, you can engage people who are different than you, with gentleness and kindness. Why are they thinking it? Why are they thinking it that way? What, what story is contributing to their worldview? And you step into their lives, not with a, I can't believe that they're acting like that. How foolish. You step into their lives and engage them and, with kindness and ask them questions and show love and to bless them with your lips. And yet it's not just your lips, it's also your life, Peter says in verse 11. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. So listen, Peter says we're called to take action as Christians. This is not a passive life. This is not just, hey, share the gospel and then just get out of the way and let God do his thing. Yes, with our lips, but also our lives ought to speak loudly. We're to do good, Peter says, and to seek peace and to pursue it. We're to be peacemakers. You know what most of us are? We're peacekeepers. We just like to keep the peace. Don't want to ruffle any feathers. You know. Peacemakers. Jesus was a peacemaker. He wanted to reconcile people in this world to himself. He got his hands dirty, serving people, loving people, we got to do the same. And I think of you graduates. I really believe in the coming years people in this world will need to see a visible difference in our lives as Christians. It's not going to just be enough for you to praise God in song on Sundays. You've got to pursue peace and justice on Mondays. To love people practically and do them spiritual good throughout the week. This past week I was convicted as I thought about my own life and the Lord brought me to a peculiar passage in Amos chapter 5 listen to these words of God it's an indictment upon the people of Israel and perhaps it's an indictment on us Amos 5:21 God says I hate I despise your feasts and I take no delight In your solemn assemblies, even though you offer me burnt offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. We can sing all we want on Sunday. We can preach all we want here on Sunday. But are we loving people? Those who are needy? Those who are broken? Those who are malign? Those who are different than us? God says, stop the sacrifices. Stop the music. Stop the offerings. Your heart's not right with me. You've got to pursue justice and peace and righteousness. Think of the good Samaritan. It's a familiar parable, and who do you identify with? Are you like the priest and the Levite? Um, You are in the presence of God, worshiping with God's people, and then you see someone who's different than you, who looks all battered up, needs help, but you just pass right on by and stay in your comfortable Christianity. The Good Samaritan stopped, loved this stranger on this road, And that's what Christ has done for us. We were that man lying there, helpless. We needed a savior. And so we need to have the the heart of Christ and then to bless others with our lips and with our lives. But interestingly enough, this blessing and this whole idea that Peter has of of doing spiritual and, and practical good, He's drawing from a psalm. I don't know if you noticed this, but in verse 10 and following verses 10 to 12, this is a quote from Psalm 34. So you picture David, he's like meditating on a psalm as he's writing this. And he thinks of Psalm 34. I think he thought of that prior to this in chapter 2, verse 3, as he talked about tasting that the Lord is good. That's from Psalm 34. So why is he drawing from Psalm 34 as he speaks to Christians who are suffering and telling them to bless your enemies? Well, if you look up Psalm 34 later on, you'll find that David is on the run, and he actually kind of fakes that he's insane in front of these enemies in Philistine territory in order to escape, and this is a miraculous escape, and later on we see that he's on the run from Saul, and he's hiding in a cave in En Gedi with his men, and he's in the cave, deep in the cave, and all of a sudden Saul comes up there into the cave, and the Bible says to relieve himself. Kind of weird? The Bible's really honest, isn't it? Into the cave he goes, does his business, and while he's there, David actually cuts off a slice of the robe and has it right there with him. He could have killed him. He had him right where he wanted him. Could have retaliated and killed King Saul right there, right in that moment. But he doesn't. King Saul walks out of the cave. David follows. And he says to the king, As he bows down and pays homage, you are the king, you are God's anointed. Basically, I could have killed you, I had you, and yet you're the Lord's anointed, and I bow before you. And here's what Saul's response is in 1 Samuel 24, 16 and 17. Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good whereas I have repaid you evil. And the Lord protected David. And he wrote this song. And Peter's reflecting on this. When you bless, when you respond to evil with blessing and with good, God is watching out for you, which leads us into this final question, why respond to evil with good? And there are two reasons that Peter gives us here. Number one, you will be blessed. If you respond to evil with good, you're going to be blessed in this life and in the life to come. Look at verse 9 again. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. So you're going to be blessed. God's favor is going to rest upon you. It goes on to say that you're going to live a good life. It doesn't mean without pain and suffering, but you'll have contentment, enjoyment in God. Later on in verse 12, he says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, the righteous simply means you are in Christ. You're righteous like, like Jesus and his ears are open to their prayer. So you want the gaze of God upon you? Then respond to evil with good. Bless others. God's watch care. He's on you. He's looking out for you. He's doing you good. And his ears are actually open to your prayers. He's attentive to you as you pray. He's caring for you. Always working for your good. But not just in this life also in the life to come. Back in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. We don't think about heaven nearly enough. Perhaps one of the reasons why we suffer And why we go through hard times here is so that our hearts would long for heaven. And I know right now some of you are going through some hard things. May the Lord use it to draw us deeper into Him and long for heaven. So you'll be blessed when you respond to evil with good. Secondly, the world will ask. The world will ask about your hope. They're going to ask. Look at 1 Peter 3, 14 to 15 as we close. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness. There's that word again, with gentleness and respect. So notice what Peter says here. Have no fear of those who, who are persecuting you Isn't that ironic because Peter was pretty fearful when he denied Christ 3 times And yet Peter had experienced the power of the Holy Spirit and now he looked upon Jesus as his Lord It says he honored Christ the Lord as holy set apart you're my supreme treasure I don't fear man I fear and reverence you And so Peter says, that's going to wake up this world. When you live that way, they're going to see hope in you. Why should you have hope when you're being threatened and persecuted? Why are you not fearing and being troubled? Because your hope is deep. Your hope is deep in Christ alone. Peter says, you're living a life worth questioning because Christ is worth it all the way to the end. Let me end with a story that kind of brings all this together. So back when I was in college, um, after my freshman and sophomore year, those summers I worked as a camp counselor at Okaboji Lutheran Bible Camp where I met my wife. In the summer of 96, serving as a camp counselor. And uh, one of the crazy things we did on weekends sometimes is we would just go on like random road trips. And so we got out like the, uh, the map of Iowa. You guys remember maps? We had maps. And he'd take a dart and just throw it, you know, and where did it land? And this particular time it landed near Fort Dodge, of all places. <laughs> so we got to go to Fort Dodge. And a buddy of mine lived in Fort Dodge. His name was Perry. And so imagine 15 to 20 uh, college-age kids just caravanning to Fort Dodge in the, in the summer. We got there. It was a beautiful summer night, and we decided to go out to this elementary school uh, playground. And we just sat around, and we started singing um, songs. Someone had a guitar just singing out there in the open. It was a great time. We, we played a couple games together and just enjoyed some time. Before we knew it, time had passed. It was well past dark now. And so we lit a few candles, So just kind of picture the scene, a few candles, big group of college-age students at this playground. We were there quite a while. In fact, um, I, I remember it just being pretty dark. And then out of nowhere, all of a sudden, we hear yelling in the distance. And believe it or not, these people are throwing eggs at us. We're getting egged. I think one landed like right there, as I recall. And once the shock wore off, And the eggs stopped hitting us, we decided to actually pray for those who were throwing these eggs. Stopped and prayed. When we finished praying, a few of us, me included, decided, let's go pursue these guys and see if we can talk to them and maybe invite them into our circle. Surprisingly, they were still there. (laughs) We talked to them, invited them into our circle, and later we went to this friend Perry's house for dessert. We just sat around talking to these folks, sharing with them some of our faith stories about Jesus, the love of God. I'll never forget that. That happened about 24 years ago. But not too long ago, I heard some incredible news. So one of my friends that served as a camp counselor there that summer uh, worked at my parents' church back in Cedar Rapids. Her name is Jody. Uh, She um, told this story that she was looking for a photographer for pictures for her youth group. And uh, one of the associates, whose name was Stefan recommended a guy named Troy so they met together and started talking about it, and through the conversation, Troy mentioned he was from Fort Dodge. He also mentioned how his past was riddled with difficulty before he came to faith in Jesus Christ. Jody asked him, well, have you heard of a guy named Perry? And Troy said, yeah, actually, I have a story about him, but you're going you're to think I'm horrible. So he began with, well, one night I was with my friends, and you know we were just looking, looking for trouble. And we saw this group over at the the playground. And so we decided to go back home and get eggs. And we started throwing them at them. And as we were throwing at them, we were thinking, they're probably going to be mad. So we started running away. But he said, I felt a clear nudge to turn around. So he and his friends did. And Troy shared that a few people from the group actually walked his way. And he was fully anticipating a fist fight at that moment. So he described that the people invited him and his friends over to meet the rest of the group and then into Perry's home for dessert. And he mentioned it was so strange because they were having these conversations even while these people had egg goo all over their clothes and hair. He described it as a life-altering night. Jody waited for him to finish and finally said, Troy, I was there. And so was I. I still can't believe this. Nearly 25 years ago, a group of crazy college-age students were just sitting on the playground, the blacktop of this elementary school playground at night. We were egged, but God used it to open a door to bring someone to faith in Jesus Christ years later. You see, that night, Troy saw something different in us, didn't he? He saw hope in us. I'm sure he thought, why are they so joyful even with a goo all over them? So I share that story, especially to you graduates, to remember this. Respond to evil with good and watch what God does. You never know what your words of blessing, your actions of love might do in a person's heart. You never know you might be affecting someone's life for all of eternity. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that Jesus loved us in this way. We were rebels. We were enemies. We didn't want you, and yet you came after us and pursued us in your love. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you for the compassion and the love you've had upon us, Jesus. And we pray that our hearts might be affected by this gospel, that we would be people of kindness, people of gentleness. I pray for these graduates as they get ready to step out into the world, that you would give them conviction in what they believe. They would stand upon the word of God, but they would also be known for their kindness, This world needs Christians to be different today. And so we pray that you might raise up a whole generation that could turn this world upside down. Thank you, Jesus, that you take just our our little words and our little lives and you do something great. So use us. Use us as a church, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing our closing song.